Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Happy day to you. Not a good day to be in France. Terrorism has hit that country. Um, and again, unfortunately, right? I don't think I need to go too far out of the limb to say anything other than that. Police say at least 12 people were killed and four were critically injured after two gunmen stormed the Paris headquarters of the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo uh, today. So Charlie Hebdo was a satirical weekly. Uh, they've been firebombed before. The gunmen are still at large. They're thought to have a rocket launcher. That's kind of crazy. Um, ultimately, 20 people were injured uh, in addition to with four with critical injuries. <clears throat> There's unconfirmed reports that the gunman knew the target journalists by name. Um, you might remember Charlie Hedbo has featured uh, Muslims and recently in the not so favorable satirical light uh, taking over the French government. Um, they've gone after uh, Muhammad uh, for some of the cartoonists uh, depicting the Muhammad um, in unfavorable light, triggering violent protests within the French Islamic community. I kind of wish everyone would get a sense of humor, but not so much the case. And uh, I kind of wish everyone would calm down, but not so much the case. There's some pretty crazy images on the Internet. So that's how you start your day uh, when you do what I do. You consume an enormous amount of news. And I'm not going to get too much caught in the details of it because there's other news stations that are going to be better at covering that than I will. Uh, but I will again say that you know the stock market is always one story away from being revalued lower. Um, in the end, earnings drive the stock market in the Standard Poor 500 in the United States. Earnings are holding up pretty well, even in light of the weaker oil. Oil companies are part of the S&P 500, and as oil prices drop and Companies decide, you know, we operate big rigs that go out and search for oil, so we're not going to search for oil because we can't make enough money. 
Uh, the companies that have oil say, you know, would prefer to sell it at $80 a barrel or $90 a barrel, not $45 a barrel. That will hit earnings in the S&P 500. So that is a negative headwind for the U.S. economy this year. But you know, there's also some positives on it. Um, lower gasoline prices means that you know some of the profits that you and I have from working, i.e., our earnings, will have more earnings because we're using less money to fuel our vehicles. Rough start to 2015. Today, not so much. Today, things are looking a little bit better. Uh, with that said, let's not get too <clears throat> jumpy, uppy, and downy. Because yesterday, the market started with a hot start and ended up quite cold. Um, the Consumer Price Index report out of the Eurozone showed a move to deflation with prices declining two-tenths of a percent, down from a comparable reading of up three-tenths of a percent in November. So Europe is important, not because ooh-la-la-la, or <laughs> or the Germans, or Europe is important because ultimately what you have is, you know, um, look at the world as, you know, businesses. You want businesses and friends to, to, to work and to be employed and to make a little bit of money. Maybe not a lot of money, but a little bit of money. You know, you want the best for people. So uh, deflation means that companies aren't able to charge what they want to charge. Um, if your house deflates in value, it goes from a million dollars to 900000 then you're like, oh, I lost $100,000. I left it on the table. And ultimately, you only have $900,000 to play around with. So deflation's not a good thing. Deflation's quite bad um, on every level. If you were to ask me the biggest boogeyman out there, it's inflation. The value of the dollar gets eroded. Second biggest boogeyman is deflation. It's almost just as nasty. Um, hmm. The CPI report for the European countries, or the ECB, um, it's going to put Mario Draghi, who's the president of the European Central Bank, in a no-win situation. So it's not good. If you can't stimulate the economy by lowering the cost of money, you're screwed. Um, we've seemed to have done it. So some people would say that you know lowering the cost of money wasn't the primary catalyst, but it is what it is. Uh, the labor market the employment change report for December estimated 241,000 positions were added to the private sector payrolls. That was on top of an upwardly revised 227,000 positions in November. Yay, we have jobs. Um, and teeth. We've got pretty good teeth for you know where we are in the world dentistry rankings. So another good piece of economic news, uh, the November trade balance report came in. It showed that the U.S. trade deficit declining by $39 billion from a downwardly revised $42 billion in October. Lower oil prices had the largest impact on that. Um, J.C. Penney, Jacques Pony, he is a famous French designer, Jacques Pony, uh, up 23% today after reporting an encouraging 3.7% increase in holiday comparable sales. Can you imagine owning a stock that's up 23%? Like, doesn't that feel good? In one day, like, I went to bed with $1,000. I woke up with $1,230. Not too shabby in my world. So uh, there was one time that I owned a biotech company that 
um, I went on vacation, and um, it was announced that they had like the cure for cancer. I mean, it's, it was totally inappropriately announced, and they didn't have a cure for cancer. They're it looks like they had some good stuff going, and uh, I think I was up like 240% in one day, and it wasn't a big position. Like that's when you're like mad at yourself that you only bought, you know, four thousand dollars worth versus you know four hundred thousand dollars going all in kind of thing. So that'll happen, and it'll bum me out from time to time. Um, are you on track to retire? I think that's one of the biggest things that I like to talk about. Uh, it's I, I simplify it, and I shouldn't overly. I mean, you should know that it's simplified, but you need roughly a million dollars in your portfolio before you retire, because that'll pay you about forty thousand dollars a year till the day you die. Um, with that said, can you live off forty thousand dollars? If you're thinking that you're never going to get to a million, the question is, how much do you need to live off? You know, to pay your bills, to either rent or own a home, to put food in your belly. These are important questions. Uh, you don't want to be put in the position of being 82 years old with a bad back, no ability to earn money, living off Social Security. Social Security is going to be ultimately kind of a push with your health care costs. So maybe we could back out health care costs, but uh, I don't even like doing that. I'm going to be doing an event coming up a couple Thursdays from now, Wealth Management Retirement Planning, Palo Alto Elks Lodge, 630 to 9, January 15th, uh, talking about diversification of portfolios, stocks to hold in retirement, income in retirement, tax-efficient distribution plans. You can find me that information and more and sign up for it at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Black talking money investing and more. Herbalife has been a pretty dramatic story. And when I say dramatic story, I kind of mean that. Um, it's a stock. It's also a company. It's also a major sponsor of an MLS soccer team. <clears throat> it's a nutritional supplement company, which kind of has a pyramid scheme feel to it. <clears throat> According to some analysts, the company strongly denies that. There's a you have to buy a membership, and then if you get other people to buy memberships, you get a percentage of that. Plus, you get a percentage of what they sell. Um, it's all disclosed, but it seems to be taking advantage of a lower income minority community. Uh, the stock has been, you know. It, a civil war. Nobody wins, we both lose. So when brother kills brother, neighbor kills neighbor. 
And in the world of stocks, I don't like it. Now, there's a guy named Bill Ackman. He's a activist investor. So he tends to go long in positions. Uh, he went long in J.C. Penney's only to see it like disastrously tumble down to six bucks. I think he got out in the low teens. Um, billion dollar bet kind of thing. He's done the same thing with Herbalife. And then George Soros got in on the other side. Instead of saying short, Soros went long. Um, and some people think that Soros was gunning for Ackman. And, you know, the thought here is they got into a high drama with each other. Analysts were dueling each other on television. So, I don't like this scenarios. Like, it's too much drama for me. Now, the stock's gone from 80 bucks a share down to $28 a share. And normally very smart. George Soros is, you know, starting to slowly exit his position. Um, he's held 1.8 million shares of the stock as of September 30th, down from 2.8 million the previous quarter. Uh, it was his 56th largest holding. Shares fell more than 50% in 2014. So he's coming out looking like maybe he should have got out earlier. And one of his employees, who kind of probably convinced him to get into that long, has left the firm. You kind of look at that and go, hmm, I wonder if he left the firm because he was wrong. I wonder if he left it like... And at this point in time, um, the Justice Department is looking into Herbalife to see if they are a pyramid scheme. And that stock will break if that word is used. I am not allowed to use the word scam or pyramid scheme lightly. Uh, I'm not allowed to use the word scam tied to any single person on television, and I don't do it on radio as either. So it's worthy of note. The S&P 500 today is up 17. The Dow is up 150. The NASDAQ up 37. We've had a rough start to the year, down triple digits numerous times, and that freaks people out. I hope it doesn't, but it does. Um, and I get it. I get you know people thinking, look at my portfolio. It's from $100,000 to $95,000. And you think you've lost something, but you don't lose unless you sell, um, in my opinion. So just throwing it out there for you. It's a paper loss. Uh, depends on your, you know, uh, long-term angle. Uh, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. So there's a big eye on the Eurozone, and we're starting to get to earnings season very, very soon. And what does that mean? Getting to earnings season is going to be, how did we do in the fourth quarter of 2014? How was Christmas? from a retailer's perspective, from a vacation perspective, from a gadget's perspective, we're going to start looking at it. Now, one area where you have to be very, very cautious, in my opinion, is you know press releases. I like earnings season more than I like press releases. Right now, CES is going on. And Intel has shown a couple really cool things. A really, really teeny tiny computing chip. Tiny. Like thumbnail size and 
thinner than a thumbnail. Um, you have to watch out because that's a press release. And Intel also came out with a, hey, look at your webcam. Oh, look, you just unlocked your bank account. So a facial recognition password system. Awesome. Welcome to the 21st century. It's awesome to be here. Thank you, 21st century. Um, it's just, it's out there, okay? So that's a press release to me. When you see your neighbor use their face at a bank to access their bank account, then you'll go, wow, they're probably making a lot of money doing this. So the dollar is continuing to strengthen. The global equities have rebounded. Crude oil climbs above $48 a barrel. There are some headlines out there that are unsettling, to say the least, tied towards terrorism. And it looks like some Muslims didn't appreciate satire. Um, some, several masked men were involved in a shooting at Charlie Hedbo's Paris headquarters uh, that oftentimes would depict Muhammad in a silly fashion. Um, fatalities tied towards us are looking at about 12. <coughs> and uh, that's what we have at this point in time on that story. That's a pretty big headline risk. Like, I remember the day 9-11 hit. I was on air. I was on air for six hours because I was wrapping up my show as, well, I was in the final hour of my show. I did a show from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, right as the plane struck, you know, the first hour, and then the plane struck the second hour, and the plane struck the Pentagon. You could actually hear the um, explosion because uh, I lived within a mile of the Pentagon. Um and those are days where it's like the markets just do nothing, and they stop and they they fall, and it gets ugly because people start getting panicked from terrorism. France doesn't need terrorism right now. France needs shoppers. Um, and when people are terrified and they don't want to go out because they want to protect their loved ones, their children in particular, they don't go to malls. They don't go shopping. They, you know, they bundle up per se. So that's the short-term effect of terrorism. Wealth Management and Retirement Planning event coming up at Palo Alto Elks Lodge in Palo Alto, Thursday, January 15th from 630 to 9. Come on out, support the show. It's a great way to put a face uh, to the listeners. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's a couple of Thursdays from today. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Sony CEO is talking at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, saying that they're dedicated to sticking with electronics, consumer electronics. They announced Sony Walkman yesterday that costs, I think, like $1,100. And it runs an old version of Google's Android. But reviewers are loving it, and it has super high-quality ability to play music, which... The compression takes a lot of the sound out of a song, or a lot of the fullness out of a recorded song. And uh, I don't know, are people willing to pay that much money for basically a cell phone without a cell phone? You know, 
I have an old iPod. I, I guess it's competing with an iPod is probably the fairest thing to say. Uh, do we want that kind of quality? Some people absolutely positively will. Um, we'll find out. Mercedes-Benz confirmed it is moving its headquarters to the Atlanta area from New Jersey, trying to get closer to their assembly plant in the United States, which is in Alabama. Notice Mercedes-Benz wasn't crazy enough to move to Alabama. They were like, oh, we'll go with the big metro area of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, there's a couple cities in Alabama that there's people with no teeth, genetically no teeth. They just gum their food. They just When they kiss each other, they you know, put tongue on gum. Like It's pretty foul in Alabama, and I could say that fairly because my parents uh, were from Alabama. Uh, my mother was, my father from uh, New Orleans. So anyway, with that said, um, Wet Seals closed down 66% of its stores and laying off 3,700 employees. A struggling teen retailer looks to avoid bankruptcy. Wet Seal used to sell two size clothes, um, zero and none. Like, you had to be a skinny, skinny girl to shop there. Um, and it was the cutting edge of fashion. But fashion changed. It went to H&M's, you know, let's change fashion every two weeks from let's change fashion every season. Um, let's go with cheap fashion versus expensive fashion. So Wet Seal warned in December that it could file for bankruptcy production. Voila! Voila! They have. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. If you want to send him an email to ask a question during the segment, send it to chad at newfocusfinancial.com. But without the email this time, Chad, let's talk mutual funds versus ETFs. What do we need to know and who's the winner? <laughs> well, gosh, you know, it, it's it's tough because it's the the area and a lot of ETFs are very new. They do very well in the beginning sometimes and it's really the long term. In terms of ETFs versus mutual funds, I like them both. Okay. I, I can't say I like one other th- over the other. There's definitely certain ETFs I don't like. There's a lot of ETFs that have leverage or want to go inverse the stock market where people think that they're the way to perfectly protect their portfolio. Um, in periods of low interest rates and rising rates, I do not like bond ETFs. Right. Those are the ones that would be quickest to be sold and have pricing issues when you're trying to sell. Um, so where I really, really like them, Rob, is large cap, okay. mid cap, U.S. I like them in those areas. Or when I look at my overall portfolio and I say, you know what, I just don't have enough technology or I don't have enough health care or I want to start accumulating financials, then I like to use some of the spiders to go in and get a, a broad shot into the overall stock market. I might have been sleeping when you said this. Why don't you like the emerging markets? Because oh, Here's the deal. Some of the, the emerging market ETFs are just the big, well-known names in those areas. Okay. And they only change once a year. And in an emerging market type of a fund, some of the successful ones have usually higher turnover and more broad exposure. I don't want just 25 stocks in China of the ones that are, you know, some of which might have too much government control, uh, too quickly to be sold when people panic. There's a lot of small cap stocks overseas that look really attractive right now or specific dividend ones. Um, you know, you get, get into the brick and you got Brazil, Russia, India, China one of which may be attractive at a certain period of time because they're becoming consumers. The other three, because maybe they're selling commodities and the super cycle might be over. So it's just it's just too inflexible. And in 
an emerging market or an international play, there's currency issues, there's political issues that might require more active management. ETFs have a reputation for lower fees than mutual funds or traditional mutual funds, that is. Do you prefer ETFs as a manager? As a manager? Yeah. Well, I, fees are definitely something you have to look at, but when you look at Morningstar, for example, and you're looking at a fund, the returns are net of fees. So if if that's your last thing that you're looking at comparing to things that have a great return, a low standard deviation, good management history, you're comfortable with the process of the management team, you might, and you can't make the decision, you might choose the one on the lower fees. But fees aren't everything. Okay. In large cap and mid cap U.S., it doesn't require a ton of changes, so the lower fees are important. That's why I like them in those areas. But, uh, I, it, you know, again, I, I'm still going to stick with the idea. Unless I'm doing a short-term tactical trade, I'm using managed funds for the international side. How do you use ETFs when putting together a tax-efficient portfolio? Well, the greatest assets that you can hold in, when you're accumulating wealth in your taxable accounts are large cap or total stock market or mid cap ETFs because they're low turnover, low annual tax consequences, and you can hold them for t- t- you know a long period of time. So you have once you start maxing out your 401k, you, you've maxed out your Roth IRA, you're now investing after tax, you start accumulating large cap, mid cap in your taxable accounts. And then you monitor your overall asset allocation. So if your taxable accounts become large and you start overweighting the U.S. large and mid, then you need to shift your contributing in your 401ks to make sure that you're still maintaining the correct weight in small cap international and emerging markets, which tend to have more ongoing tax issues. So you want to have those ongoing turnover, high dividend tax issues inside your retirement accounts. Now, ETFs can be kind of like compared to index funds. Does that mean we no longer need to have index funds in our portfolio? Um, a lot of ways, a lot of times it's easier for the dollar cost averager. Like if you're trying to say, I need a fund where I can put in a hundred bucks a month. Sometimes it's easier to go take your first thousand, open up a Vanguard, you know, account and start having 50 bucks sent out of your paycheck into that index fund. So they still have their place. Um, unfortunately, not all ETFs, Rob, are, are indexes. There's a lot of managed ETFs coming out. Yep. Some of which people think, oh, this is a great tax efficient way to invest. However, they rebalance every quarter, and they're actually horribly tax inefficient. Never buy an ETF in the first six months of trading. There's not enough uh, activity. There's not enough people trading the shares, and you can end up with pricing errors on the short term when you buy or sell. Sounds good. That's Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Lots of good content there that you can grab and download and take a look at to spark your ideas when it comes to retirement and wealth preservation issues. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You can drop chat an email, chat at newfocusfinancial.com and listen to his shows every day from 1 to 2 here on 1220 AM, New Focus on Wealth. I'm Rob Black. And you can meet CFP Chad Burton Thursday the 15th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. We're going to be talking wealth preservation, retirement planning. You do not want to hit retirement without a plan. It would be quite devastating, uh, to say the least. Anyhow, um, and devastating meaning, I don't want you to hit like 80, your spouse dies, and you realize, oh, crap, I only have $100,000, of which I'm spending $40,000 a year. I've got two and a half years left of income. You don't want to be that person. You do not want to be that person. Google, on the other hand, um, 
told a couple friends yesterday, you know, Google looks attractive. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. Uh, Google is backing Utah's largest solar power plant. They're backing another renewable energy project, this time with Norwegian power company Skatek Solar. The two have teamed up to build Utah's largest solar power plant. Uh, why not? I mean, there's nothing going on in Utah. That's a state that we can give away. Like, if we ever wanted to make a deal with another country, like, hey, we'll, we'll take your, your, your beer, your women, and your hockey for Utah. Uh, I'd, I'd make that deal in a heartbeat. So Google and Skatech, along with Prudential Capital, are investing about $188 million in the Utah Red Hills Renewable Energy Park. When up and running at the end of the year, it will generate 210 million kilowatt hours of electricity a year, uh, enough for approximately 18,500 homes. Uh, Google is the tax equity investor in the deal, which means it will pay a portion of the project's cost in return for tax incentives. Uh, this is the 18th renewable energy investment for Google. Um, like them or hate them, and like solar or not solar, like, I don't know if you're like, well, I don't care we use all the, the world's resources, I'm going to die anyway. But I love the amount of money that we're putting into solar and wind projects across continents. Um, you know, Google has put in $1.5 billion so far into solar and wind which is two and a half gigawatts. It's basically greater than Arizona's, Arizona's Hoover Dam. Electricity produced by these projects is expected to far exceed the amount Google itself consumes. Um, so you could talk about their footprint for sure. Anyhow, and anyway, um, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Drop me an email or give the show a call. Uh, we had a great call yesterday. Guy was talking about his basically leaving his girlfriend because she was a spender and she wanted a big wedding and she wanted, you know, a big ring and babies, and he kind of blamed me, which I feel kind of bad for. So if she wants to give me a call, like, since she's single and all, you know, just saying, just saying. Um, I thought that was kind of funny that he blamed me in a good way. And now I'm trying to pick up the pieces. I'm trying to harp on it, hawk on it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Any questions? Any? 800-516-1220. on i'm rob black talking money investing and more i just got a massively big compliment from a person i work with in radio it's kind of a lonely business because we're up long before everyone else so uh you get into conversations and he said you know he's been my producer well over a year now and he goes uh i i've learned a lot you know i, I, I could basically learn when someone's scamming or not telling the truth i'm like okay that's nice that's you know that's important um I try to do the best I can, and to get feedback like that, it, it charges me up and tells me, like, hey, uh, max out the 401k, 
pay off credit card debt. And when some people like, you know, you really resonated with me and got, I got my financial act together. There was a girl who um, 14, 15 years ago, you know, on radio hooked up with me and, you know, was asking questions. And she's what I refer to as um, unfortunate looking, not the best looking girl. And we live in a society that looks seem to matter for better or for worse. It's part of the story, right? And she, you know, was young and working in tech. And she kind of happened to work in that area of tech where there wasn't a lot of job security, like maybe a help desk kind of thing. So she changed jobs a lot. But, you know, 10, 12 years later, she had $400,000. And she's well on her way to retirement with or without a man. Um, and hearing the updates are important for me. Um, they give me perspective and tell me to keep on doing it. I'll never be uh, massively famous. I don't want to be. If I'm important to 100 people in the Bay Area, that's good enough by me. Um, because very few people ever get to say that. So... Twitter CEO, you know, here's a lesson. The guy was a stand-up comic, and he'd become CEO. And Twitter, I think, is a great news feed. It's a fantastic news feed. I think it's a horrific way of communicating with people. I think instant messaging apps are way better. So I don't think they'll ever live up their promise, but they're trying. You know, they announced yesterday that you can upload 10 minutes of video, high-definition video. They don't care. Super-duper high-definition video. They don't care. They're not looking for grainy quality. They're looking for whatever. But it won't be able to be hosted on YouTube servers. It has to be hosted on theirs. Now, their CEO has recently sold off 140,000 more shares. He pulled in $5 million. He still owns more than 800,000 shares. He has to be on his way out. Um, his trusts liquidated over $20 million of stocks last year. A lot of analysts think that he is a rudderless captain of a boat, um, strategically rudderless, and that's not a good place to be. The moment he goes, the stock will go higher. It kind of happened the same way with Scott McNeely, where it just became clear that he's too nice of a guy, and Sun Microsystems had to be restructured. And, you know, I think McNeely is really, really smart. Really, really smart guy. But it comes to the point as a corporation, you know, what is your strategy? And do you have a rudder and or not? So it's Super Bowl time. Dun, da, da, da. Da, da, dun, da, da, da. Um, I know you're saying that's the worst football music impression I've ever heard. Okay, so the show doesn't exactly have a big budget. I know that. Anheuser-Busch's Super Bowl plans are millennials. As an investor, pay Freaking, freaking attention to the story because it's important. Anheuser-Busch is going back to basics for the upcoming Super Bowl. More Clydesdales. Puppies. But this time the puppy gets lost. Super Bowl's biggest advertiser, Anheuser-Busch, has super refined its marketing plan. And they're focusing on millennials. You could probably buy an ETF or create a model portfolio based on millennials, and you could start with like Whole Foods, and they're, they're the people that spend money. 
So from Budweiser to Bud Light, they're going to try to get millennials to digitally engage. I know, this sounds, doesn't this sound like one of the biggest butt wipes ever in a marketing pitch? We need to get the millennials to digitally engage. All about drinking responsibility and, you know, our craft brews. Craft brews? Seriously? Budweiser spills more beer in a day than Lagunitas, you know, makes in a year. Uh, there's no doubt on that. So they're going to focus on their number one and number two brands. Super Bowl is perfect jumping off point to be bold and disruptive. Again, doesn't it sound like the biggest butt white marketing person you've ever heard? It's, this is a lot of PR. But again, the story inside the story is it's all about the millennials. So no celebrities. The beer giant has used celebrities in at least a couple Super Bowl ads in the past. Um, last year it featured Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> um, celebrities don't elevate their stories is what it comes down to they want more digital, digital attention um, they are seeking to get people to give them input via Twitter and other such things so they've got what is referred to as a digital war room they're going to do less ad time instead of four minutes of advertising uh, that they did last year they're going to do three and a half minutes this year 30 fewer seconds of time may not sound like a lot, but, you know, that's $4.5 million per 30-second spot. And they're going to focus on more one-minute spots, as well as more Clydesdales. The Super Bowl Golden Lab that won last year's Super Bowl ad meter, Lost Dog, the Clydesdale's going to go hunt for the little fella. With that said, you can find me online at robblack.com. I've got a big event coming up on wealth preservation retirement planning in Palo Alto, Thursday the 15th. Sign up at robblack.com. This station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black. Talking money invested more. Lots going on. Very volatile start to the year on the stock market. Very volatile. And yet, we could uh, take a look at things and... Um, Get some perspective. We had a great month of December. Stocks don't go up month over month over month over month over month month month. There's down months. Same thing with down years. They tend to go up pretty consistently on a monthly basis, and they tend to go up pretty consistently on a year month yearly business uh, angle. Um, what's important to note about that is 
it feels bad. Like when I'm at the gym and I'm working out, I'm pumping iron, I'm building my guns, kind of ripped. Um, okay, okay, maybe none of those, but I'm staring at an incredibly beautiful person, which is really funny because I go to the gym at the time of the day that a lot of doctors go to the gym. So it's a lot of like 65, 70-year-old people who are not very good on the eyes. And there's one person, like light shining on her, like kind of thing. It's crazy. Anyway, I'm already digressing. Um, the market, it felt really bad. You know, you're, out, you're at the gym and you see the Dow down 300. And you're like, no! Oh, it's actually okay. Uh, didn't we just hit a record high last month? <laughs> and you're like, oh, perspective right there. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't believe I talked about that girl I stare at. That's awkward. Very, very awkward. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton with New Focus Financial. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, it's been a period of time where we've had a bad economy for what feels ever. We've had a credit implosion in the United States. We've had a housing bust. We've had a tech bust. We've had Europe slow down and Europe maybe fall apart, the European Union. Um, it's all created lower interest rates around the world because as we panic, we put cash into safety, i.e. bonds and government debt, and that's pushed the yields incredibly low, one and a half, one point six, two percent 1.6%, 2%. That's pushed mortgage rates low and borrowing costs lower for corporations. So that's what, the, that's what central banks are trying to do. They're trying to make money cheaper. And whether or not that's going to be good in the long term, it's yet to be seen because right now we're in a kind of a world rush to – devalue currencies so that they can kind of reflate out of the situation and, and get their economies growing again. So everybody's kind of, you know, we went for many years on a dollar downtrend and lately the dollar's been up. Um, but what better time to take your higher currency and start taking advantage of overseas opportunities slowly over time as, as things start to improve overseas? With that said, it's on one hand, it's bad because the yield is so low, but on the other hand, it's a safety issue. On the other hand, it's also going to encourage a lot of growth down the road. As an investor who's 60, you hate low interest rates. As an investor who's 20 or 30, you got to love those low rates. Yeah, and especially what you also have to look at is the general earnings yield on S&P 500 stocks versus the 10-year treasury yep. and what that spread is. Because typically, the higher the spread, the higher P-E ratio could be warranted about that. But it makes the bond side of the portfolio for retired people even more confusing because the interest rate or the, the, the income out of those portfolios have dropped. The prices are at all-time highs. There will be a period of time where interest rates will reverse. Inflation will tick up because of everybody printing money where you might end up having to have extra cash, higher dividend-paying stocks, and even short the, the mid- to long-term treasuries. There what's, will be a time where that happens. What's fascinating about what you're saying right now, and this is fascinating to me and not to everyone, but I remember 12, 13 years ago on radio and television saying, anytime the 10-year treasury is over 4, 5, 6%, you buy bonds. Anytime it's under 4, 3%, you definitely buy stocks. Yeah. That seems antiquated. You got to watch the bond market. It's smarter than the stock market. A, a sovereign country's bonds will tell you when there's a crisis sooner than their stock market will. Absolutely. But you can't use that. I mean, that was written in stone. Yeah. You know, 6% on 10-year, you buy bonds. You don't think stocks because that's a great safe return. Mm -hmm. Anything under 4%, you buy stocks because you got to take that risk because any, you can't, the safety of 3% yields on a 10-year treasury isn't going to keep up with inflation. Yeah. So 
you know, if we if we look at any kind of a growth situation, stocks could be underpriced. But what you have to look at then is not only the earnings yield versus the 10-year treasury, but margins in companies. Because commodity prices have come down, productivity is way up. So margins have expanded to an all-time high versus GDP. And if if commodity prices go up as a result of a falling dollar, that could that could kind of squeeze margins. So you have to really look at interest rates and margins right now. But until something changes, equities look attractive. I saw that at one point in time in 2012, John Deere borrowed money at a record low cost. Corporate America's flush with cash. Mm-hmm. Down the road, when they feel better about employment numbers or new hirings, they're going to have to build some new buildings. Um, this is a great time for the U.S. government to be borrowing money because we're borrowing at low cost. So there are some, and for me, I got to refi on my mortgage, save right. an extra six hundred bucks a month. That's going to be future economic spending, and thank God for it because otherwise, I would feel really, I'd feel a little bit more grim, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, if with all of this debt that's been refinanced over the longer period of time, and with Operation Twist buying longer-term bonds, we could be setting up for a, a good decade of of nice growth if our Congress keeps spending level. If but if they continue to spend more and more money yeah. during this time, then we've got issues. Spinning your way out of a recession works sometimes. Spinning your way out of a recession doesn't work every time. you got to stimulate out of a recession. Uh, you don't want to spend out of a recession. Number one thing I would like to see Congress do is uh, make it easier for small businesses to hire, make it easier for small businesses to make money. It, they can do that with certainty on what what our tax bracket's going to be and what our health care costs are going to be. Isn't it crazy we live in a kind of a fluctuating tax bracket world? Over the last decade, yeah. I mean, look at all the changes in tax code between the, the you know two presidents that we've had, and you know you see times where capital gains were cut during a Democratic president, and the market rallied. Yeah. But yet, you continue to talk about higher taxes when the economy is failing. That's it's ridiculous. With that said, that's CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. The Apple Watch could go on sale in March as retail employees are starting to expect to start get training in February. Tesla stock's down 9% since the start of the year. That's one of the losers from the lower price of oil and gasoline. Um, like, you could start going, well, I don't really need an electric car. I could just get a big truck or I can get a BMW gas guzzler. Um, so you got that going. That's a big story of the year so far. Oil drops below 48 buckaroos. Uh, whoa. Th- basically, we're building supply in the United States. This is good and bad. It's going to add you know, 90, bus plus, 90 billion plus dollars to our economy. Yay! That's awesome. People who drive cars. People who don't drive cars are like, well, I don't know. I don't care. I don't see, like, I don't see what you're talking about. But okay. Um... It's interesting because, you know, Russia's surging their out because they need whatever money they can get. Iraq is contributing to a surplus. Cater estimates a two million plus barrels a day uh, glut. So the path of least resistance is down on oil right now. And I don't play the game of uh, like, is now the time to invest? Is now the time to invest? I play the game of what do I need? What's on sale? I can make a case for it for sure. If you've got more of a midterm time horizon, not a short term, because as as the surplus goes up, uh, it's a problem for stability. Big event coming up Thursday, the 15th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. It's a Wealth Preservation Retirement Plan event. Sign up at robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing in more, what's on your financial mind, Um, global equities rebounding, dollar strengthening, crude oil climbs, a skosh, Um, now again there's different types of crude, WTI, Brent, uh, light sweet, so it's not as simple as done. Consumer discretionary is doing well. Energy, financials, and healthcare. Weakness seen in industrials, technology, telco, and utilities. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's done numerous loans for me, numerous refis. He's part of my team of people that I can go to to get financial solutions done for you, the individual. Let's talk a little arms today. Adjustable rate mortgages. Oh, boy, did I have a good run with adjustable rate mortgages in the 90s where I think I got like a 9% adjustable rate mortgage that became an 8%, which became a 7%. Which yep. became, they were great when their rates are going down. And so my <laughs> monthly payment went from like $1,000 to $900 yeah. to $800. Like, I was like, woo, go, 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 go. But that's when they're on the way down. And we're already at really, really low rates. Right, and so what that means is that m- most people that are hearing this that have an arm are, if they are in their adjusting period, uh, their ra- their rates are going down. I am, I think the li- one-year LIBOR is below 1%, and it's been below 1% for a long period of time, which means that your margin, which is probably two and a quarter, uh, your rate is you know below what you can get on a 30-year fixed. So you're sitting at super low rates, even below what everybody else is getting. It's great. And kind of what's interesting to note about what you're saying there is, remember the whole LIBOR scandal where it's rigged? Yep. I don't know if that ever really made it to the attention or to the the pocketbook of the average consumer using some sort of adjustable rate mortgage side towards LIBOR. But they know in their head that adjustable rate mortgages have some risk to them, more so than 30-year or 15-year. Yeah, I think if anybody ever wants to get an arm, they want to check the history Okay. Of that index, and there's several different indexes that that uh, a lender can offer on. Usually, something like a portfolio a lender can use something off the wall, but majority of like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they're going to use the one-year LIBOR, which means that let's say you get a five-year arm, which it's 30-year amortization, it's a term of 30 years. After five years, uh, it becomes adjustable, right? And it's going to adjust to that index plus your margin. And um, you know, for a lot of people, it can make sense, Rob. Sure. Um, and you might hear me say that arms are great for uh, some people and not for others. That's because the people, most of the people back in 2007 were getting arms. Usage of arms has dropped considerably. It was as high as 60% here in the Bay Area, and that's dropped considerably down to below 20% now. That's interesting. Uh, but a lot of people that have to buy, that are buying these million-dollar-plus properties, it makes more sense to them to get an arm. There's almost a 1.5% difference between 30-year fixed jumbo and a five-year arm. Right. And on a $800,000 mortgage, you're looking at over a $1,000 a month difference just by getting one. So you just add, it just adds up. So in five years, you're saving $60,000. So 
So wh- where does that not make sense? And then you just refinance into another arm. So there are people that are habitual arm users, right. and then there's people who use arms that just don't know what they're doing. And, and those are the people who should really be careful. And what's interesting about that is, uh, in my opinion, that adjustable rate mortgages have their place. Like, in the final 10 years of my career, an adjustable rate mortgage makes sense because I don't plan, the day I retire is the day I plan on moving. Maybe not out of state, but definitely out of the home, per se. Um, so as I get older, adjustable rate mortgages make a little bit more sense for the temporariness of where I'm living. When you're younger, adjustable rate mortgages make a lot of sense for the temporariness of where you possibly could be living uh, due to and, and that's the that's something that everybody should consider if they're short-term or they know the term in which they're going to stay in their house. And they can use a mortgage, like an, an ARM mortgage, to fit their schedule. Uh, another thing about an ARM, too, is that uh, people who get uh, periodic incomes okay. like using ARMs. Why? Because they, let's say you get a large bonus one year and the next year you don't and the next year you do. As you make principal payments on an arm, especially when it starts adjusting, you, your next payment will decrease based on the principal balance as opposed to a 30-year fixed where it never changes through the life of the loan, no matter how much you pay off. So there are some advantages for people that have those types of income scenarios. Sounds good. Anything else that we need to know about ARMS while discussing this with you? Be very careful. Um, understand the terms. It, look for prepays. The lenders can make a lot of money on you if they're adding prepays. Um, but they're far and few in between nowadays. But be very careful. That's all I can say. Thanks very much. You can find Tony Mendez, com. That's com. You're listening to me, Rob Black. You can always find me online at robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Pick up the phone, give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, the Apple Watch going on sale in March, expected. Retail employees will reportedly be given training in early February. Apple's iPhone 6 is denting Android's crown, finally. Uh, Android's share of the smartphone market has shrunk in the U.S. for the first time since 2013. Uh, as the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus helped iOS, uh, Apple's market share, gain. Netflix has big plans for originals in 2015. 2013, they kind of dipped their toe in the water. 2014, kind of started really hitting some home runs with House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. Um, they've got some accelerated stream of original series to service their 53 million worldwide subscribers. Jobs numbers came in better than expected this morning. Again, that's a positive, and it gives a little bit of support to the stock market. McDonald's is testing a healthy cafe. Just the idea of Mac Tofu uh, makes me feel like a rat crawled in my mouth. Died, but before he died, he vomited, and then he died in his own vomit inside my mouth. But McDonald's has to. Uh, People under 35, they will put their money where they want to put their money. And it's not in McDonald's right now for obvious reasons. Um, Sirius Sirius XM, they topped their 2014 target with 27.3 total million subscribers. Um, They said they added uh, 1.75 million net subscriber additions during 2014. Uh, It's a pretty expensive service. You know, it's not cheap. Uh, With that said... Um, subscription model. It's pretty easy to figure out how to invest in a subscription model. You know, you take a look at the cost 
and you take a look at the numbers, and you kind of, you know, number of users by monthly costs, and boom, you're kind of done. Um, home entertainment revenue fell last year across the board for video on demand and DVD sales. Bad year for Hollywood, all things considered. Google is backing Utah's largest solar power plant, uh, another renewable energy project. So they've invested $1.5 billion so far in solar and wind projects. Intel's pledging $300 million in workforce diversity push. Doesn't that sound crazy that we have to say that out loud? If you're a woman, no. If you're a human being, it's crazy. You can find me online at robblack.com. I have a big event coming up in Palo Alto. It's the Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event on the 15th Thursday of January. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah. It's business. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. It's that time to talk a little economics with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, New Year's starting off. Markets are a little bit ugly, but I look at that as things are on sale. Uh, how's, How's your world of economics looking? Yeah, the world of econ's looking pretty good. I mean, we had a good trade number that came in today. It was better than expected. A lot of it is to do with the fact that oil prices are at $50 a barrel, which, you know, on a net is good. Uh, we had a nice ADP report. It beat our expectations, and, you know, it shows that the private sector job growth seems to be moving ahead online at what we anticipated to happen. Um, you know, right now the economy is, is moving ahead. Okay, that's nice. Um, the ADP report came out today and said the United States added 241,000 workers in December. Um, out of all the jobs type of numbers, the JOLTS numbers, the first-time unemployment claims, the ADP private survey, the first Friday of every month Labor Department, which of the jobs numbers should we pay attention to and why? The most important is the official numbers that come out with the BLS. And the ADP okay. is a forecast of the BLS number. It's nothing more, nothing less. So it's uh, Moody's way of trying to predict a few days beforehand uh, based on you know, a little bit of, of some proprietary information that came from ADP, but mostly it, it's a forecasting tool. But the private numbers that we get are that you can even – look at just total payrolls. The reason why people were focusing on private, uh, it was because a few years ago when you had the census, the public numbers were getting skewed because you have 500,000 uh, added jobs a month from the Census Bureau. Now that that's pretty much gone, you could kind of just look at the look at the overall number, look at that headline, and that's telling you where the economy is headed. U.S. economy seems to be headed in the slow but sure, better days ahead of itself. Um, it's been that way now for 18 months. It seems like we've been slowly adding jobs, slowly adding jobs. Um, is that trend con- 
going to continue for all of 2015? Do you expect it to go into 2016 where things are just a little bit better at a time? The question is, you know, how tight is the labor market actually? You know, if we look at the way claims are showing and we look at the unemployment rate, you know, we're, we're at a point where the economy is closing in on full employment. Once you hit that point, there, you can't keep adding jobs at a 200, 250,000 pace because there just isn't enough supply of workers to meet that. So you generally have job growth that matches more closely with population gain. So you'd be at 100, 120,000 jobs. So if we're really at full employment with this you know, 5.8% unemployment rate is really the best we can get, then I would expect the payroll growth to slow not necessarily because job growth is weakening, but because there isn't enough supply of available workers. Yet, at the same time, I would expect to see wage growth accelerate, and that means that we're going to see higher incomes for the total amount of people that are employed, so consumption growth will accelerate, and you probably have an uptick in inflation as well, but you know, that's the trade-off. So I don't you know, if we see a pullback in, in, in payroll gains, but we see a coordinated increase in wages, I'll be happy. If we see a pullback in payroll gains without the increase in wages, you know, that might tell us a little bit more that, you know, the economy is, is weaker than we anticipated, but I don't see that happening. I, I really anticipate to see, you know, continued job growth in this 200,000 range uh, for a while, you know, signaling that we have a, a significant number of people that have left the labor force for economic reasons and then will re-enter the labor force once they come to the realize that the you know, labor market is, is picking up and the economy is picking up. So uh, I think things are going to stay the way they are, And but if things do uh, weaken slightly, I would hope to see payroll, I would hope, sorry, I would hope to see wage growth make up for that difference, which would signal, you know, continuing growth in the economy. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal today on what to watch for in the Fed's minutes that are going to be released later today. Um, one of them that struck out to me was disinflation worries. Um, do you have the disinflation worries that maybe the Fed should be watching out for? Well, it's one of those points where if you raise rates and you tighten, you, you slow the economy growing, and you pull back on inflation. And right now, inflation trends are below trend. So if you're going to tighten and you're going to raise rates, you would expect that below trend inflation to become even lower than below trend. So the disinflationary aspect is that you don't want to pull back and tighten and push the economy into a worse position. So the question then is, are the Fed, is the Fed aware of this? Is the Fed really going to be, you know, discussing the fact that tightening means lower inflation growth, which means, you know, in a disinflationary environment, a better chance for deflation, which is not an optimal situation. So I, I think that, you know, what the Wall Street Journal is saying is, you know, is the Fed aware of what could happen? You know, and one of the, you know, the way I look at the Fed is that they've seen the situation in Europe, they've seen the situation in Sweden, they've seen the situation in Japan where, you know, low inflation, raising rates, tightening in a low inflationary cycle 
can lead to deflationary results. And the Fed knows that it's difficult to get out of deflation. The Fed knows that it's not that difficult. It's painful, but it's not difficult to get out of a high inflationary environment. So the question is, is the Fed going to be willing to take higher inflation, knowing that they can tame it later if they don't believe the labor market is in a secure situation that it is today? Or are they going to have to raise rates because they think things are going to overheat, risk that they're moving in too early and causing a deflationary cycle in the United States? And I'm more leaning towards that the Fed understands that deflation is bad and they're going to hold off. So um, I'm, you know, we're trying to try to see what the Fed understands you know, in these minutes. What, what are they thinking when they're, when they're talking about the current economic situation? And a deflation environment is a very big possibility. Odd question for you. Um, everyone knows that we watch football games, men do, and we go, oh, I, what was he thinking? Why did he throw it there? As an economist, do you look at the Federal Reserve and kind of backseat quarterback uh, or backseat drive, Monday morning quarterback, do you ever second guess? Would you want their power? Would you do things differently? Would I do things differently? Probably not. Not, yeah. not what's going on today. Um, I'm pretty trustworthy on what the Fed is. I think that there's enough people on the board that uh, understand what's going on. And, and I think that, um, at least in my mindset, they're doing things that I would think is the right way of doing things. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in their position. I wouldn't want to take, um, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of pressure, I think, to have to sit there, and especially, uh, you know, the Chair Yellen's, um, you know, point of having to sit in front of Congress and listen to people discuss what's going on that really have no idea what's going on. So, you know, I give her credit for, for being able to do that. I, I think they're doing a good job. I, I I've, haven't seen anything that would suggest otherwise. So, uh, yeah, I, football is one thing. The game doesn't matter. In the end result, if your team wins or loses, it's not going to impact you. The Fed, you know, if they lose, we all lose. You know, you can lose in terms of jobs. You can lose in terms of wages. You can lose in terms of lower stock markets or higher bond prices and, and whatnot. So it's a little bit more important. So I think that uh, I'll give them the credit. Speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, an outstanding source of information. Uh, a lot of publications come out of your site. Anything working on right now that we could look forward to being consumed by, via eyeballs in the future? Um, this is about the time where I start looking at the auto industry again. I make my auto okay. predictions for 2015. You know, we had a really nice 2014. It topped everybody's expectations. It was better than the top number in our consensus. I think there were 16.5 million vehicles sold last year. That was fantastic. I'm looking to see continuation of that. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to see another 6% gain that we saw like we had this year. But, uh, you know, if we can get a little bit more, 16.8 million vehicles sold next year would be would be really nice, you know. The sector is starting to show some some signs of legs. We're getting, uh, we're not at the 18 million level, you know, consistently, and I don't think we're going to get there. But, you know, I'm looking to see where the where the growth is, and you know how the U.S. manufacturers are doing and whatnot. Okay. Anything uh, else that we need to know about the auto industry? No, I, I think that it was odd that Ford did poorly compared to the other uh, companies, uh, namely GM did nice and, and you know, Fiat Chrysler did fantastic this year. But uh, you know, that was a kind of a, of a downer. But 
you know, looking at the broad base of of the industry itself, it seems like it's it's in a pretty good position. And you know, I'm I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I thought that they were going to have a a much more difficult, uh, you know, luring back uh, consumers into this market. And I still think that the overall uh, number of people that drive has has shifted since the recession started. But uh, overall, I think things are getting better. Thanks for your help. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. From time to time, we talk a little more focused on housing. Today was a little more on autos and Fed minutes. If you ever have a question for Dr. Jeff on a Wednesday, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Got a big event coming up Thursday, the 15th in January, tied towards wealth preservation, retirement, and planning. Sign up at robblack.com. Talked a little bit about it yesterday, and uh, just as it looks like a value, um, and it's weird to say that out loud because who talks about chicken restaurants as far as investments go? It was a hot and sexy IPO, and that was the problem. You kind of have to let hot and sexy IPOs do their thing and don't try to chase them. Um, when it came public, it was went straight to forty. Uh, you know, it's a citrus chicken restaurant. It doesn't do much else. It does chicken, Mexican style chicken. Uh, Four hundred fast casual restaurants operating under the El Polo Loco banner. And IPOs can get people kind of up in arms, like they're sexy. We all want to own the next Yahoo. Or <laughs> that was a bad reference. Uh, when Yahoo came public, you all wanted to own the next Yahoo, uh, the next Google, the next Facebook. But at some point in time, like too many dollars were chasing it, uh, especially the the amateurs and the insiders get to sell their stocks after six to nine months, um, and that's kind of what happened. So uh, it showed a lot of support when it hit twenty last week. Other stories of note out there today. And, you know, I'm not telling anyone to go buy any stock. That's just not my thing. Um, let's see, what was the one that I was working on? Deflation is coming to Europe, and prices in the Eurozone fell. That's really a bad thing. Oil prices, yeah, they're kind of going sideways. There's an act of terrorism today in France, where 12 people were killed. Um Two gunmen attacked the headquarters of a satirical magazine, Charlie Hedbo, in Paris, who this was probably Muslim-related because they've run cartoons of uh, Islamic religion figures that 
upsets people to the point of blowing them up and killing them. Tragedy. Uh, the German unemployment record hits a record low. Germany's unemployment hits record lows. Uh, adjusted unemployment measures dropped to a record low of 6.5%, and uh, this data comes as unemployment in Italy surged to a record high of 13.4%. Oil is plunging, hitting steel workers. It's interesting how integrated oil is into basically everything that we do, whether it's vacation or go to work, um, to cars. St uh, steel companies could cut 756 workers in idle plants in Ohio and Texas, citing the recent downturn in the oil industry. Plants are set to be closed, generated some 800,000 tons of pipe annually for oil. So falling oil is making it hard for Iraq to fight the ISIS fighters. Iraq exported 91 million barrels of oil, its highest level in any month since 1980, but with oil at $50 a barrel, it erodes their tax revenues, and it's nearly impossible to expel the Islamic State group from the country to provide basic social services. So that's a negative of oil. Um, there's so many ways to play oil slide. Um, valuation basis. It's gotten ridiculously cheap. Some stocks have. Uh, there's a company called Sea Drill, which is an offshore drilling company. Um, do you want to go to the offshore drillers and go on valuation because they've fallen so much? <clears throat> you can go with Bakken Oil Producer, um, Whiting Petroleum. They've lost half their value in 2014. Um, you have to wait a while. So I would wait till you start seeing these stocks move <clears throat> a little bit higher. Um, are you looking for an American producer? Are you looking for an international? Are you looking for a big name like an Exxon or Chevron? Um, if you want to look at the whole patch and buy an ETF tied towards oil, ticker symbol OIL, uh, I don't know. You know, it's I think we're all ever so slightly different. Twitter was up 7% yesterday. Uh, speculation that Carl Icahn could invest in the company. Sony has unveiled a TV that is as thin as the world's thinnest smartphone. <clears throat> 4.9 millimeters thick. Sony's coming out with a lot of press releases out of CES. Um, Tesla stock has been down 9% since the start of the year, but keep in mind it's up 1,000% since its IPO. And you're seeing some stability come back into it now. Yeah, cheap oil and cheap gas doesn't help the company, but those aren't the people who are buying the cars initially. But it could also put a scenario in where people are like, you know what, gas prices are so cheap, I don't need the clean electric car, I can go with a more of a guzzler and get more bang for my buck. <clears throat> Other stories of note, um, there's really not a lot of great stories of note today. The euro hit a new low. Um, and that's fine. 800-516-1220, it's 800-516-1220. Uh, ADP private payroll surged. Uh, you're hired. Yay! Expectations were for the report to show about 225,000 jobs created. It actually showed 241,000. So initial jobless claims come out on Thursday mornings, and we get the December jobs report this Friday morning. And it's going to be a big mover of, of stocks. It's something we want to pay attention to. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Don't forget, you can always call the show. I like it when you call the show. I'm going to be doing an event Thursday, the 15th, a Wealth Management and Retirement Planning event with CFP Chad Burton. 
It's an educational workshop designed for people 40 plus or even younger if you're wanting to learn about retirement and wealth management. Um, we're going to talk estate planning, how much money do you need in retirement, budgets in retirement, bond alternatives in retirement, rebalancing your portfolio, drawdowns, structuring of portfolio, assets, and much, much more. You can sign up for the event Thursday, January 15th at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto at robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.